This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Tuesday the 25th of May 2021. And Norman, yesterday we heard those words that we've all come to dread, that there were new positive cases, this time again in Melbourne. Uh, we originally heard it was just two uh, over the course of yesterday that grew to four. What do we know so far about this cluster? What we're talking about here are cases which are a mystery. We don't know what the genomics tells us yet, whether or not this is the Indian variant, the, particularly the same one that the man came from South Australia with which I think was 617.1, not the 617.2, but not absolutely certain about that. And has this been circulating in the days since in a, in a, in a chain that's been missed by the contact tracers? Maybe, maybe not. I think the health minister, Martin Foley, at the press conference yesterday indicated that they don't think that is the case at the moment. But they've got to find out where this comes from and go back in time to see where, in fact, they caught it from. So, you, you know, as with all of these cases, you've got to find out where it's spread to in the, in the cluster, which is, a, which is a, really a household cluster that we've got at the moment where those people have been and uh, where, where you've got tier one and tier two sites, tier one where you've got a quarantine for 14 days, tier two where it just might have been a passing contact and you need to get tested and isolate until you've got further information. That's the dilemma at the moment. And if it follows the pattern of New South Wales and Victoria uh, more recently, they're not going to go into lockdown just because the contact tracers are, are at work they will trust the contact tracers to do their job. What will spook them is if, in fact, there are lots of mystery cases, if, in fact, there's a chain of spread which they're not able to tie down, and it's going to take them a while to find that out. But if they're not finding any sign of a chain of spread and it's isolated to this cluster and some contacts beyond that cluster, it's very unlikely that Victoria will go to a lockdown. They will, they'll trust their contact tracers to deal with it and get it under control. So uh, this is obviously something that contact tracers in Australia have become quite practised at over the last couple of months. And this is this is the situation we've been dealing with the, for the past 18 months. But one thing that we have now that we haven't had um, until recent months is vaccines. And there was a rumour yesterday that was later quashed that people in that area were going to be automatically eligible to be vaccinated. And they've uh, since came out and said, no, 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 that's not the case. Uh, the vaccination eligibility remains the same. But is there an argument for fast-tracking vaccination in areas which have been exposed like this? Yes, there is. The incubation period is about four, you know, 8 to 14 days. The time from first dose to getting a decent immune response is about 10, 12 days, so that you could actually get a bit of an immune response to help you along if in fact you uh, immunise people. And if you do it with Pfizer, then you're, lo- you're done and dusted in three weeks rather than Astra, which takes longer, t- 12 weeks. It's called ring vaccination. I think it is in the, uh, national, in the national vaccination plan, but I don't think it's been instituted in any state at the moment. And then the other factor that is that we're days away from winter. We know what happened last winter in Victoria. Is that a factor? Yeah, and it's pretty cold in Victoria at the moment. So it is an absolute factor because people are outdoors less. They're at home and they've got the windows closed. There's less home ventilation. So all those factors go together. And the virus may well be in its own right seasonal and more infectious, independent of our behaviour. So all those go together. 
and Melbourne remembers only too well what happened last winter. Winter is coming. You sound just like Jon Snow, Dr Swan. I do, I do. Which Jon Snow I'm talking about, I'll leave up to you uh, epidemiology nerds to figure out. Uh, Norman, the other thing that we heard yesterday was the Chief Medical Officer, Paul Kelly, reminding people that if they're eligible for a vaccine today, get what you are offered today. Don't wait till the end of the year on the hope that you might get uh, a Pfizer vaccine if you're currently over 50 and only eligible for AstraZeneca. But of course, people have been a bit sus on AstraZeneca. They think that perhaps it's an inferior vaccine. But you were talking, you you wanted to talk about an approach that gives us the best of both worlds, Astra now and Pfizer later. So can we first start by just reminding us where we're coming from here? So where we're coming from here is a, you know, a debate about which, you know, is Astra a second rate vaccine? Is Pfizer a much better vaccine? How are we going to get to herd immunity? New variants and all these things are playing out and they're changing week by week. So what we talked about yesterday was the fact that when they looked in Britain at the effectiveness of two doses, one and two doses of the Pfizer and Astra vaccines, after the second dose, there was very little reduction in effectiveness between the two vaccines. This has been a bit misrepresented in the media as saying both Pfizer and Astra are highly effective against the Indian variant. Now, just hold that thought for a moment, and I'm just going to go to something else. Because what this coronacast is about is how actually having Astra now potentially makes the use of Pfizer later in the year more effective. And here's what's buried in that data that came out of Britain yesterday was that when you looked at the effectiveness, and what the effectiveness was, was the prevention of all symptomatic infections. So that's mild, moderate, and severe. When you looked at that, at the second dose, Pfizer was up around 80% for the effectiveness, and Astra, interestingly, was at 60%. Mm, That's a lot less than what we've heard from other studies, isn't it? That's right. So that's 60%. Now, We've spoken about previous um, findings on Astra from the UK, which show a much higher efficacy, but that's probably prior to the 117 coming in. And it's also probably a bit distorted by the fact that these viral vector vaccines may may have a slow burn and slowly increase the rate of immunity over a period of time, and that it's likely to be higher than that as time goes on. The point is that the Astra vaccine will still prevent severe disease. And you've got, to, you've got to separate out here population effects, the effect on the community of immunization versus you individually. So you individually will be protected against severe disease, almost certainly, to a very high extent. But the problem is that if it's a 60% effectiveness for symptomatic disease in the community, that's a lot of people who could actually transmit the infection covered by Astra. So what I'm talking about with the effectiveness of Pfizer is, rather than hanging on for Pfizer... You get your Astra coverage now. You get your coverage against severe infection, some coverage against transmission at that point, you know, quite a bit, but not as much as Pfizer. And then what's likely to happen is as the year goes by, that there's going to be an increased rationale for a single Pfizer booster in people who've had Astra. And that's a much more efficient use of Pfizer. And you're likely to get it much faster if you're already covered for Astra rather than um, having to start your immunisation all over again. Because you only need one one dose rather than two. Yeah, you'll, you'll only need one hit 
to get you up there. And that hit will probably give you a much higher level of immunity than you'd have got from two, vi- two Pfizer's. Uh, together. So that's really where we're at. And it may turn out that because this study is early, that the effectiveness of Astra will get better, but it is performing at a lower level than Pfizer at this point. But it's not a reason not to get the Astra. It's a reason to argue that maybe um, you should shorten the time between Astra doses so that you get faster immunity and probably not much reduced. And we talked about that yesterday in Coronacast. And arguing for a change in national vaccination policy in Australia, which is that if you've had the two doses of Astra, you get clocked in for a single dose of Pfizer later this year, rather than everybody hanging on. And somehow in some fantasy land, we get to two or 300,000 doses of Pfizer a day to cover the community by Christmas. I mean, they're dreaming. It's not going to happen. Whereas if a proportion of people only need a single dose, you're actually going to get to herd immunity much, much faster that way. And so these numbers are jumping around and it's because of the variants. Is that right? The Indian variant isn't as isn't evading our vaccines and our immunity as much as, say, the South African variant was or is, but it still is is making a difference. Yeah, I think what turns out is that both the 117, the UK variant and the Indian variant are a bit vaccine resistant or vaccine escaped, if you like, but probably not as much as the South African variant. But they're both highly contagious. And I think what's going to happen is that the South African variant will diminish in importance as the year goes by and muscled out by the Indian variant, which is more contagious. And the good news about that is that it's, it's, it's more susceptible to the vaccines. Norman, we get a lot of messages from our wonderful audience saying that they're a bit sus on, on Astra to start with. It doesn't seem to be quite as good as Pfizer in terms of efficacy. There's the risk, the low risk of blood clots. And now we're saying this. Why should they still go out and get Astra? So just to summarise... At a population level across Australia and at an individual level, we just need to be covered against severe disease. And Astra is still going to do that job. So even if it comes in and we get mild symptoms, we're not going to end up hospital, we're not going to end up dying, and elderly people aren't either. So that's, um, that's the rationale there for, for getting it done. Let's just turn it into the common cold for as many people as we can. Then at a population level, we're going to increase risk of transmission if you had two doses of Astra. So the answer for that is a Pfizer booster later in the year, a single dose of Pfizer, which is likely to give you even higher immunity than if you'd had two Pfizer doses. And that's a much more efficient use of Pfizer and more likely to achieve herd immunity faster than some imaginary campaign that's going to get everybody immunised by by the end of the year, even if we have got millions of doses coming in every week towards the end of the year. Well, dear listeners, I'm sure you have lots of questions about that, which, of course, you can send in at abc.net.au slash coronacast. And, Norman, another question that we got asked about a lot, especially last year, was about the role of vitamin D and your susceptibility to COVID-19. So an interesting study from the United States looked at 18,000 people and they measured their vitamin D levels before the COVID-19 pandemic. So they already knew what their levels of vitamin D were. And then they followed them through and adjusted for all sorts of factors, their age, their sex, their race and ethnicity, their education level, how obese they were or not, their blood pressure, smoking, where they, you know, their postcode and so on. So they had a whole heap of data on them. And then they looked at who caught COVID and who didn't. And there was no relationship with lower vitamin D levels. So low vitamin D levels 
were not associated by themselves with the risk of catching COVID. Where did this perceived correlation come from then? Well, vitamin D has quite profound metabolic effects on the body and it was thought that um, it could affect the immune system. So vitamin D is a hormone. As a hormone, it has lots of different effects on the body. So people were saying, well, vitamin D is a source of vulnerability here. And it had a rationale behind it, but it doesn't play out. As indeed, a lot of things with vitamin D haven't played out. Over the years, we've said it's going to prevent coronary heart disease, going to prevent colon cancer and things like that. And it's not really played out. And it doesn't seem to be playing out here. The one unanswered question is, what's the role of vitamin D if you've caught COVID and getting severe COVID-19? And I don't think that one has been sorted out. And just one question from our audience before we leave. Norman, Fiona's asking, are there any risk factors we know that increase your chances of being the one that would get an Astra blood clot side effect? Look, there aren't, but they are broadening the group who um, are eligible for Pfizer. So you're eligible for Pfizer if you've had HIT, which is the heparin-induced version of this clotting problem. Whether If you've had a cerebral venous sinus thrombosis in the past, for whatever reason. Which is a clot in your brain. Which is a clot in your brain. And now they're broadening it to if you've had something called the antiphospholipid syndrome, which is a, a, a clotting tendency. Um, often picked up in pregnant women. And the other one is if you've had a clot in the splanchnic veins, which is the, are the veins in your abdomen. So it seems to be broadening out to a larger group of people. But if you've had a clot, say, like a DVT in your leg... No evidence. Well, that's all we've got time for today, but we'll catch you tomorrow. See you then. <laughs> 